doing? Well, all right, good, good. I've got one of you responding there. Um, we are in Exodus 34 this morning, and I think it's on page 71 if you've got a Bible from the pew. I, we never make mention of this, and I want to make mention of this. Um, if you do need a Bible, and you do not have one, take one from the pew. Take one home with you, okay? That's for you. Uh, we want you to have God's Word available to you and to be able to read through it and to get to know it. And uh, we feel like it's very valuable. Uh, I want to make one clarification. Um, if you're watching online, uh, this may not apply to you. You may not know what happened today. But uh, Bethy had mentioned that there was a little bit of a flub, right, in the middle of it. She hadn't, that hadn't happened since she was pregnant last time. Clarification, she's not pregnant. So. <laughs> Oh, Lord, if she was, oh, my gosh, you guys would have to pray for me. So, And I, that's how I found out. I mean, how crazy would that be, right? I'd still love that kid. But uh, anyways, hey, we're glad you guys are here this morning. Um, when I was in high school, and maybe you guys had this same experience, I had a friend of mine, him and his dad refurbished a car. Uh, some of you guys may have a similar story to that where you remember, or maybe you refurbished a car. His was a 1964 Impala, and it was cherry. By the time they finished that bad boy up, it had chrome. It was, it was like this really cool purple with a little bit of sparkle to it. It was just it was beautiful. It was an incredible car. And he even found like this stereo that had a CD player but still looked retro and fit into the car. And so that was really awesome. Oh, by the way, kids. CD players are these little disc devices that you shove in there and it plays music. So it's really awesome. In case you just didn't know that, uh, this is pre-MP players. So our MP4, MP3 players. Long story short, he had the car about a year. And then you probably could guess he ended up getting in an accident because he wanted to either test out the speedometer, make sure it went all the way to the bottom, or I don't know, race. But he ended up getting an accident. We saw that car never again. And you can imagine the pain he was going through and the pain that you would go through, right? But I think it would even be more painful to have a car that you spent so much time where there's time, investment, and dollars poured into it, and then all of a sudden you get in a wreck. I think it would almost be more painful to try to re-restore the vehicle you originally had built. I mean, you think about the effort that he would have had to go through or the effort you would have had to go through to build this car. And in the aspiration of building it, uh, you would actually have to reshape all the components that you originally had found. And most of those components, I'm sure, were very rare. Like to find the perfect chrome fit plates to go right over the tires. I can't imagine those are just easy to find to find the, the perfect color that just matches and to make sure the mix is exactly the way it was before. Because it would be daunting, and by the time you got it finished, you would have a change of opinion about that car. At least I would. My change of opinion would be, hey, I am never again speeding this car throughout the streets, right? I'm going 35 like a grandma. No offense, grandmas. Uh, and I'm driving that car as slowly and as peacefully as possible because this car, I finally restored and made it good again. Have you guys ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where something you had had broken or you knew someone had something that had broken, it had to be restored? 
It is not an easy process. In fact, most of the time, we say this a lot even around coastal, restoration always takes a little bit longer than we anticipate. Um, not saying anything about the back, but just so you know, like sometimes it takes a little bit longer than we anticipate. And so when we look at the text today, we will actually see a similar scenario to what's going on to that very idea that when Moses is about to meet again with God, he has to do some restoration process. What God once made easy, Moses now has to be a part of making it new again. He actually implements him in the process. And so if you'll turn your Bibles, uh, we've seen a few things that have gone on over the past few weeks. Uh, chapter 33, we saw that uh, the breaking of the tablets, the covenant with God, that relationship showing, hey, he, Hebrews, here's how we're going to stay connected between God and his people. And so he gives them the law, right? He gives them not a condition to his love, but a confirmation of his love. It's the reminder that, hey, I want you to know where the line is, because I don't want you to go past this line. It's important that you see the value of what I'm giving you. And so that's where we're at. So uh, the Lord has told Moses this, and this is where we start in chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the, uh, by the morning and come up in the morning to the mount, to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds gaze opposite of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone uh, like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud <clears throat> and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the, uh, of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head towards earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in the sight, sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sins, and take us for your inheritance. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May we recognize what you did to restore covenant with Israel, and even more than that, God, May we recognize what you did to restore covenant with us, giving us relationship and life and joy. And so, Father, would your word just speak clearly and give us wisdom of how we should proceed 
in our relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this text. Roman numeral one, God has a plan of restoration. Now, we know that even more today, right, believer? If you're in this room and you're a believer, you've known that for years now or maybe months or perhaps maybe just a year at this point. But we know God has a plan for restoration. In that, letter A, renewal requires us to hold salvation and, in, and judgment in tension. And what do we mean by that is simply this. We have to realize what we deserve. All of us are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what is it to fall short of the glory of God? What's the consequence? It's death. And so we have to remember what we deserve. And what that does is it emboldens us and reminds us that because we have hope, because Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, because we have life, we need to hold that in some sense of tension. And we talked about this in my small group this week. So if you were in my small group this week, sorry, you're getting it again. One of the greatest motivators for us before we're believers is consequence, right? How far of a consequence will I get extended to? Is the consequence worth the crime, right? But what motivates us as believers is this incredible shift we go from being focused on how far we can go to what we have in Christ. No longer is it consequence that motivates us. It's grace that's given to us. And it's because of that grace that I look at what the consequences could have been and I say, no, I wish not to chase after the things of my past. I wish not to chase after the things of my flesh. I wish not to chase after the things that are wrong and sinful. I wish to chase after God because of the grace in which he's given me. And so reminding ourselves of that holds what? Holds that tension between judgment and God's faithfulness, his salvation. Isn't that good? Isn't that good that God doesn't ask you to be motivated by your consequences, but motivated by grace? And the same is true in this passage. He's reminding them, right? We go through all these attributes that he explains. That he's steadfast in love and faithful. Roman numeral, or uh, baby Roman numeral one. Renewal begins with the intervention of God. Psalms 51.10 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here's the reminder that when the psalmist was saying this, he knew he couldn't go and say, hey, Bill, hey, Bob, hey, renew a right spirit within me. He knew the source of renewal was only from God. And a lot of times we do this, right? Even in our own life. You know what? I'm not feeling good today. I'm going to veg out and watch some TV, and that's what's going to renew my spirit. You know what? I'm just going to go hang out with my friends. And we're just, we're going to sit around, eat a bunch of wings, and that's going to renew my spirit. It's going to renew your belly, I'm sure. But it's not probably going to renew your spirit all the time, unless they're believers. But they're going to remind you, if they're believers, of who God is and what he's done in you to preserve you, to grace you. But in this sense, Renewal required the intervention of God. So it was God coming in and saying, okay, Moses, 
we're not done yet. Although just recently we had this whole incident where your, your group built an entire uh, altar and tried to make the creation as valuable as the creator, we're not done yet. Although they've denied the, that that was even a problem and they've decided, hey, this is not an issue and I've sent you down to have retribution and deal with it, I'm still in this. And so God still being in this knows that we need renewal. He still knows that the people need renewal. And so he grants them renewal by intervening on their behalf. But renewal requires, letter, uh, Roman numeral, baby Roman numeral number two, renewal requires changing a man's ways of thinking. How often do we need to shift our way of thinking? How many of you have had a moment where you thought when you were younger, this was the best thing for you to do, and now that you're older, you realize it's not that great? Some of you are stove touchers, right? You know what I'm saying? You decided that as a kid, when you were three, you needed to measure the heat on the stove. So you touched it. Do you do that anymore? Some of you say yes. Okay, well, we'll deal with you later. Most of us say no, right? We would say, no, this, this is a consequence I never want to face again. It's too painful. And so when we look at this passage, we have to realize that we have to change our way of thinking. So there's this wonderful verse in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world or the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so our renewal, it's going back to God. It's not leaning on our own understanding. It's returning to him and saying, what, what do I need to understand? It's returning to the word. The word actually gives us enough information to live for today. Listen, if you don't believe in God or you struggle with God or you even struggle with the relevancy of scripture, <coughs> you you right now may see God in a very small way. Because if God is as big as God is, he is not surprised by 2024. Got to remember what year it is. He's not shocked by what's going on right now. He's not concerned that his word doesn't cover 2024 and doesn't cover 2025 and doesn't cover 3030, right? He's not surprised by that. He's got it covered. He knows the scripture is good for all time. And so because it's good for all time, there's this understanding that we can conform ourselves not to our own ways, but to the will of the Father, to the will of God, and know what our part is in renewal. Now, what I love about this description, and I don't know if you can imagine this, but the Lord in previous chapter had told Moses, he just handed him the tablets with the covenant written on it, right? Basically the Ten Commandments. He's like, here you go. And all Moses had to do was walk those jokers down the hill and be like, hey guys, look what God gave us. But of course, when Moses got down the hill, we heard about this a couple weeks ago, he sees what's going on with his people. It's a mess. They're worshiping a bull. They're 
creating altars to justify their worship. And that's what Aaron did. And then Aaron denies that he did that. He's like, I have no idea what's going on. And so they get down the hill and Moses basically throws the tablets on the ground and breaks them. Almost symbolically, right? Because even before they've seen the covenant, they've broken the covenant. Sound familiar? Even before we come to know Christ, we come into the world with brokenness. There's an origin of sin in our lives because of the seed of man. And so what does God ask him to do? He says, rather than me building these, I want you to go through the task of building them. He says, I want you to experience what is it like to chisel these out. So can you imagine just sitting there with two big rocks, trying to find the perfect rocks, first of all, pulling them aside, and then starting to chisel them exactly to look like the previous ones so he could write on the tablet. Measuring them, making sure all 10 of them can fit on there, right? Making sure it was just right for what needed to be done. Now, I don't know if you guys have chiseled a lot, but I haven't. The only thing I know that's chiseled is the 1899 symbol out here. And that's the last thing that was probably chiseled on this building. But I'm assuming it's pretty strenuous work. Nailing one after another. And you guys ever had a hammer where you're nailing like a big stake into a ground? Your hands began to wobble, right? It's just like this. And eventually you come away from it. I, I put together a tent few years ago. This was back when I was in college and I could lift a sledgehammer. And I remember after doing like four or five of them, my body just rattled. I could just feel it in my soul how much I had worked. I imagine that's probably where he's at this point as he's rattling and putting this together. And so God appears to use the same measure with him. He wants to let him know, hey, here's how we're going to restore relationship. You're going to play a part in the restoration this time. So this could be a few things. It could just be the origins were, that they were broken. could also be that God who created the tablets was making Moses burden light on the original, right? But he needed to experience the human effort it would take. Parents, we do this a lot, right? We teach our children this way. We begin to teach our children, hey, when you have violated a principle in our house, I'm going to discipline you differently to understand the violation. If my kids don't pay attention to us because they're watching their device too long, what do I do? I don't do some of the normal punishments like timeout or anything. I take that device I snap it over my knee and I throw it in the trash. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. They're way too expensive. But I see where the problem is and I address the problem directly. That's what God does. He addresses the problem directly. See, they had no perspective. When you think about this grand picture, and again, God has swooped in front of Moses at this point. There was a promise in 33 that he would show himself, but he would show only his back to Moses. Again, God is holy. There's a whole big picture on that. But when they had created this, this idol as an illustration of God, it was their view of who God was. And the reality is, is that 
you've got to picture it better than that. For us to even try to depict what God looks like, it's like a gnat on a dinosaur. Picture that. A gnat on a dinosaur trying to get you the grand picture of what the dinosaur looks like. That's us looking at God, guys. God is so big that for us to even try to illustrate that is probably impossible from this vantage point. If you think about the first people that were trying to describe the earth and figure out, hey, how round is it? Or is it flat, right? We thought it was flat for the longest time. Some people still do, apparently. But we soared into this heavens and we looked back and we could see it's round and it turns and it spins and it's a globe. We have no perspective of how big God is. And to even articulate him into where he's just right there in the earth is even making him too small. His hands have carved out the, the Grand Canyon. He has shaped the oceans. He has molded the largest mountains. He is not small. And for us to have a perspective on what he looks like is improbable. Maybe one day we'll get a better perspective. I don't know. But he is gracious to Moses to reveal himself in such a way that he sees him. But at the end of the day, what God was intending to try to accomplish here, he was trying to accomplish allowing Moses to see him, allowing him to have a lighter burden. And yet, as humanity responds most often, we decide we want to carry the burden for ourselves. And so he wanted to show him the weight of that burden. I love uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. It's one of the pleas Jesus gives to the people of God or the people that are choosing to pursue him at the time. He says, come to me who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will rest for your souls. For my yoke is what? Easy and my burden is light. There's a huge picture here that we need to capture. That when you pursue after the things of life without God, your burden is not going to be light. It may feel like going into the moment where you decide to make a major move or you decide to make a major decision that, that is about you or, or about someone else or a relationship. And you know what happens when you make the wrong decision. Your burden begets, becomes heavier. The finances pile up. The, the life in and of itself piles up. And the one thing we can do is when that burden gets heavy, we can turn back to God because there's an assurance here that if we'll turn it to him, our burden can be lightened. I love this. Uh, Hebrews 12 talks about that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, but further in that passage, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is so good that even when we mess up, 
before you're getting disciplined, it's a grace and a blessing. No, your kids don't think that, right? I punished my kids yesterday just being confessional. They were not saying that was a blessing. But I hope in about 15 years when they leave my house, they start their new jobs, they realize the blessing it may have been. They realize the blessing that they have with a father who loves them and chooses to discipline them in a measure that helps them understand where they've gone wrong. Dads, this is the challenge for you. Discipline like the heavenly father, not like an earthly father. Figure out how God does discipline. It's one of the greatest measures you can do. I love that God also gets in front of discipline. Sometimes we're, we're reactive rather than proactive. The way God got in front of discipline here in Exodus, he said, here's the law. Here's the things that you are prone to chase after, but pro- I, ch- I, I encourage you, chase after me. You're prone to lie, cheat, steal, covet, but chase after me instead. Don't put all your attention on these things. These are just to let you know where you're prone to wander. Now go chase after me, God says. That's what we need to do. I love this. God in this passage allows us to, letter B, God is good to clarify his attributes. One, he's merciful. Two, he's gracious. Three, he's slow to anger. Oof. That's a good one, parents. (laughs) Sometimes I struggle with that one. Our God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I won't go into all of these, but I'm going to encourage you guys to do something. As a part of being a part of Coldstall, and even if you weren't a part of Coldstall, one of our other pastors, this is what he's focusing on today at our Williamsburg campus. You get a chance, uh, they'll have that audio online and you can listen to it, but I think it'd be really good to listen to it. But all of these attributes are great describers. Notice what he does not say in these attributes. I'm wrathful against sin. I have every right to smite you. No, he, he says, I love. I'm steadfast in that. I'm slow to anger. I'm gracious, merciful, and I'm faithful. That's what he allows to be in the, in the text here. This is the point where he could say, I could pour out all my wrath and remove you from the earth. Yet this is what's chosen to be placed in this passage. Our God is good. See, out of the kindness of God's being, he helped the people of Israel through the servant leader of Israel understand the brokenness of the covenant. He allowed Moses to see there was a brokenness in this moment that needed to be restored. Roman numeral two, God affirms his covenant. Verse 18, and he said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall See the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that <clears throat> that will do with you, that I will do with you. And what does he do? He begins to lay back out the covenant. He begins to lay back out, hey, here are the commandments. 
Here are the things that I want you, that you're prone to chase after, that I want you to avoid. And I want you to be aware that these are areas that you can have issues with. But if you'll look to me, if you'll look to God, these will not be the issues you'll deal with. So in order for us to do that, what's it become? It becomes a call to surrender. It's us saying, hey, God, you know better than we do. When we talk about the gospel and we bring uh, people to an understanding of the gospel, one of the first things I really encourage is, one, you can come as you are, broken and beaten and sinful, and you can hand that over to God. Now, you're not going to come to me in perfection, are you? But you're going to come to me in recognition that you need an authority figure that's not you. And you're also hopefully coming not expecting me to be your authority or the friend that you, you come to Christ under. No, you're realizing that the only authority, the only one that provides you comfort is Christ. And so you're surrendered to that. Just the same, they had to surrender and say, yes, God, all these laws make sense. We shouldn't cheat, steal, lie, or, any, or hang out with those who do. We don't need to chase after these things. You are right. Thank you, God, for being gracious and merciful to let us know. Now we'll chase after you. But most of the time, right, they wanted to chase after the things of the world, the desires of their passions rather than the desires of God's heart. And this is where the challenge comes in. And so he wants to clarify. So he writes out the covenant. He presents it to them. He says, this is the moment we have to live a call to be surrendered. The people are to acknowledge they are not their own authority. This is him going back over the covenant. And those commandments are called a hand over one way of thinking for a true way of being. Letter B, this is a call to pursue purity. See, this is a purifying measure of life. This is the idea that it's a call to holiness. We see this throughout Isaiah and St. Peter. Be holy for I am holy. We're to be different, set apart. We're not supposed to look like the world. Surprise, surprise, that when Christ is in us, people should see a difference. This will shape the next part of the passage. But the reminder is that when we are deciding to be in relationship with God, we're deciding to adhere to the realities of which he has designed us. And in that design, we know that there are ways that we can break that or we can harm the design. And so we don't want to manufacture for ourselves laws and rules that fit our comfort zone because my comfort zone, right? I've said this before, is not your comfort zone. If my law, laws are what you have to live by, then there's going to be a lot of pain in the process. Nobody's going to want to want that, huh? Except for me, I guess. And I think even I will come to a point where I'm like, I don't like these laws because everybody doesn't like me now. And so we have to be cautious and remember that we want to surrender to the God who knows all things, has provided all things, and has created all things. And so therefore, Roman numeral three, God is transformative. Thank goodness, right? Have you tried to transform yourself? I'm sitting up here. I feel like my belly's showing. 
I used to run. I know it's a far-fetched idea. I'm tall, so maybe you thought I did back in high school. And I, I had, you know, the fit of a runner. I looked like a runner. And people would say, oh, you must run a lot. I had the pace of a heartbeat like a runner. And now I have the pace and heartbeat of an 80-year-old, but beside the point. But it, it was a transforming point. I grew up, I had asthma. And then when I got into high school, I was challenged to get on the track team and I actually got rid of my asthma. It was kind of nice. It, trans, it transformed the way I lived. I could be more athletic. I could be involved in more sports. I could do more things. See, this is the intention of God. He wants to transform you into the, his likeness. Not in the fact that you'll be God, Nobody wants that responsibility. That's heavy. Talk about a, not a light burden. But that we reflect his character, his goodness. That when people see us, they see Christ rather than us. That they just assume, wow, there's something different about you. And so while Moses is on this mountain, he doesn't realize that transformation is taking shape. So he walks down the mountain and he gets to the people and they're sitting here going like this because Moses' face is literally shining and glowing. Why is that? Because he's been in the presence of the one who transforms all things. Because he's been among the holy one. The one that's pure. See, Letter B, Moses was transformed by the presence of God. Here's the challenge, though. If you're a believer in this room, guess what? Believers, letter B, are transformed through the work and presence of Christ. You've heard that before. You knew that was going to happen. So when you came to Christ, what was anticipated or what you should anticipate is that transformation is going to happen as you spend time getting to know who Christ is. Now, there's just the general transformation of the idea that you've been sanctified, right? We can go back to 1 Corinthians 6.11 to see that. But then there's the transformation where you're becoming more aware of who Christ is in you. And as you're becoming aware of that, you're deciding not to make certain decisions you used to make. Now, it's not day one. I remember a guy that came to know Christ, and his first step was to stop cursing at least three times a day, but maybe the other ten were okay. I was like, well, that's where you're at, man. But he was transforming over time. And sometimes it's our willingness to let God shift us. It's our willingness to say, you know what, rather than three times a day, I'm not cursing at all. Or rather than uh, living with my girlfriend or boyfriend, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's going to cost me a lot of money. It's going to be really expensive. But it's just, it's the wise, right thing to do. Not because I'm perfect, not because we were worse off there than we are here, because I still got sin, but I'm going to work on what I can and allow God to work through me so that I can be more of an evidence of who he is to the world. Because guys, it's even beyond just about you being better. 
It's about not only you being better, but others being able to know the grace of God through the evangelism of your testimony. Not only who you are in Christ, but how you're living in Christ because you found a better way. Most of the time in the Christian life, we love to walk up to the line and see how far we can get. If I can get to the edge, if I can go just a little bit over the edge, I'm fine, I'm good. But the reality is, are we really good? We're so focused on the line that we've pretty much missed Jesus. That we've decided, hey, I'm just going to stay here, Jesus. I see you on the side, but, you know, I'm just going to stay here on the line. When the reality is we should just be this. Jesus, where are we going? Where are we moving today? What are we doing? What should I do with my day? How can I be open to share the gospel with someone? How can I be loving to my spouse? How can I be loving to my kids? How can I be loving to my coworkers or friends or neighbors? What are we doing today? I'm not worried about the line. I'm worried about being more like Christ. So what are we doing today? It reshifts our mind. Here's how you've been transformed. Philippians 2. 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we look at your little highlight note here. It's plural, referring to your, kind of like as the church, working it out together. We'll get to that one another day. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's the final thoughts, guys. When you spend time with God, you're going to start looking like followers. When we spend time with him, we're going to begin to adhere to the things that are good, that are representative of him. We'll be ambassadors for Christ. It's not only about me becoming better and more aware of the sanctification that God is already performing in my life. It's about me being able to allow others to see how sanctification works out and that's good. And life's enjoyable. You guys may have remembered the experiment when you were kids where you put the food coloring in the water, right? You poured it in, you poured it in until it got black, right? We did this when we were in church. And then what'd you pour in? You poured in that chemical called bleach, all right? It was purifying. So it was taking away and dispensing the color. One of you guys is a scientist in the room. Explain this to us all later, okay? But here's what it did for my visual. What it did is it took all that color and removed it and made it clear again. I wouldn't drink it, though. But it brought everything back to where it was. That's what it appeared like. This is what God does in your life. He takes all the impurity. He pours in his, his portion into your life and he clears it out and makes you new again and transforms you to where it's visually appealing. 
It's no longer murky and muddy and black and drab. It's clear. You ever notice when you put water in sunshine, what's it do? Creates a prism, right? Maybe my science is off on this. Nobody's shaking their head. And you get a rainbow. And you get this picture of just different colors. Beautiful colors. All colors in which God created. And it gives you a different view of the value of light and water. Your value has changed because of Christ. Your hope has changed because of Christ. You have value and hope that will allow you to extend that same value and hope to others so they might know the God of the universe who, what? What did he do? He took upon himself living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins. But then he bodily rose again and now he exists eternally. And if we get to, we get the privilege of repenting and turning away from our sins and walking straight towards him. Because we believe you're my authority. You're my savior. You're the tension I need in my life. So please, I want to receive you into my life. That's what we have because of Christ. So my question for you today is this. One for you that are believers in the room, do you represent the presence of Christ? If someone were to look at you, would they say, there's Jesus? There's a representation of what it looks like to be a Christian. I actually want to maybe even consider Christianity. Those of you that may be struggling to understand, I ask this. Is conforming to the world's expectations worth the cost of transformation? Is what you're conforming to worth it? Has it paid off? So here's the deal. I have no regrets when it comes to God. I'm going to invite the band up. None whatsoever. There's been issues. There's been struggles. But I have no regrets. And the reality is, you don't want regrets either. And so if there's a desire for the hope of, of a God that loves you, I think he's found here in scripture. I think it's worth considering. So let's live this week with the aspiration to be conformed to the way of our creator rather than the way of the creation. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're the one that transforms. Thank you that you're the one that gives us life and hope and peace you are merciful and gracious, steadfast in love. Thank you that God, as we sit in this cold room uh, and are just uncomfortable due to lack of heat, that Father, we find comfort in you because truly the one thing we need in this world is Christ. And so thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, and your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.